me out to the ball game. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Green Grass and White Bases podcast. I'm your host, Eric Reardon. We are pumped to have North Brunswick alum and current Binghamton baseball infielder Andrew Tan with us on the podcast today. So typically what we've done in the past, Tan, is I've given a bunch of intro stuff, but I think it might be a little more interesting for the folks at home to hear it from your perspective. Let us know your background, uh, how you came up through high school, how you came up through the baseball warehouse, and then kind of how you got to the position you're in now playing infield at Binghamton. Sounds good. So as Eric said, North Brunswick High School, uh, went through North Brunswick Little League my entire life. Uh, I came to the baseball warehouse in eighth grade, seventh or eighth grade, I want to say, seventh grade, I think. Um, it was a random middle school hit night. Uh, Coach Joe and Coach Blevins were throwing BP. We were just hanging off tee, doing drills or whatever. Um, I did good. I guess I impressed them enough for Coach Joe to call my dad into the office and ask him if I wanted to be a part of the first ever baseball warehouse summer team. Um, so I said yes. Um, I played with the baseball warehouse since seventh grade, like I just said. Um, it's the only travel team I've ever played for. I've never went anywhere else. Um, middle school, yeah, we at warehouse. High school, um, high school. So uh, Eric actually was a senior when I was a freshman. Uh, he was just coming off of his uh, junior season where he was county player of the year, which I thought was the coolest thing in the world. <laughs> I looked up to him so much. Um, came up through there, uh, got recruited to play at Binghamton. My I started talking to them my junior fall, came and see me, came and saw me play, uh, saw me three times in the spring, once in the fall, offered me after my junior spring. Uh, I committed 30 minutes later. Uh, there now, it's been a crazy journey, and hoping to talk about it more on this podcast. Yeah, no doubt. I, I appreciate the shout out, man. It was it was awesome. I have a note here about how your your freshman year. You know, you had an opportunity to play varsity, and you just jumped in there behind the plate, and you were the you were the starting catcher for most of the year. So that was that was cool to have a guy, a younger guy, come up there and say, "I'm just going to hop in and do what I have to do." And I think that speaks a lot of volumes to the, the type of player you are. Where even at the college level now, you're playing third base, you're playing shortstop, you're playing second base, you're playing first base. Where that versatility really helps you out. But before we get into that stuff, I want to talk about that recruiting process. I think a lot of guys these days see what goes on with the commitment posts that are on Instagram, and they don't have a ton of insight into how that process really goes down until they're living it. So like you said, you were talking to Binghamton, they offered you, boom, you were ready to commit. And that's an awesome set of circumstances where you can be so sure about the school that you want to go to that as soon as they bring that offer up, you know that's where you want to go. So talk a little bit more about that and just shed some light into like, what that what those conversations looked like leading up to that offer gotcha. how the coaches might have come out to see you play and gotcha. then when that offer came in your decision making process into committing gotcha so first off your junior year september 1st your junior year that's the first time college coaches are allowed to reach out to you uh before that you always have to be the one that initiates a phone call or whatever it is or they have to go through your coach parent whatever so my junior year september 1st comes around I keep my phone by me the entire day, not a single phone call. And I was like, boy, that was a wake-up call I needed, right? Um, so that happened, whatever, that was just more fuel to the fire, kind of. Um, my first offer came from Lafayette College. They saw me at a showcase. I had had a previous relationship with that coach just through like middle school and high school hitting camps and all that. 
Um, Lafayette's a great school. I had nothing bad to say about it. Um, just it didn't feel like it was right for me. Um, the next school after that that was on my radar was actually Rutgers. Uh, Mike Arlotti had a big part to doing that. I went to a few of their camps in the winter. They took me on a visit. They saw me. Uh, they saw me play in the spring. They took me on another visit. They let me uh, go on field for BP before a game. I think it was against Penn State. Um, I thought it was the coolest experience ever as I'm standing behind the BP turtle and Eric Reardon is right to my left hitting fungos <laughs> to the infielders. I thought that was the coolest thing ever. Um, but for whatever reason, I didn't choose to go there. Um, so in the fall, uh, I had a lot of talks with Joe, uh, Coach Joe and Coach Carlotti about like what school is the best fit for me, like what level do you see me playing at and so much. Um, Coach Carlotti goes up to Binghamton goes to their scout day, and the recruiting coordinator at Binghamton asks Mike Garlotti if he knows any infielders in the area. Mike Garlotti says my name. That kind of gets the ball rolling. I send him an email. We start talking in the fall. Unfortunately, he never came in the fall to see me, um, but he remembers seeing me at a Wallaker showcase, actually, uh, in that previous summer. Um, so whatever, we kept talking the entire winter. I went to one camp in the winter up there, uh, I hit really good up there. Uh, the first three ground balls I took up there, one was off my glove, one went straight between my legs, and one I air railed about 10 feet over the first baseman's <laughs> head. Um, so nerves were flowing, but um, they still liked me enough to keep in touch or whatnot, and they came and saw me three times in the spring. First game they saw me was against Chris Shine, uh, 2019 GMC Player of the Year, Cian Hall pitcher now. Went 0 for 4 with two strikeouts. I was as nervous as could be. I thought they were never going to talk to me ever again, and I thought I was going to have to go somewhere else. Thankfully, that didn't happen. They came back, saw me play against Piscataway. I went 2 for 3 with two homers that game and seven RBIs. That'll do it. Yep. Um, but I did make another fielding area that game, so they wanted to come back and see me. So they came to our state quarterfinal game against Hunterman Central which at the time was a top 10 team in the state. They were really good. Uh, the infield coach comes there. The guy on the mound is one of the top pitchers in the state. He's a senior committed to University of Kentucky. I go two for two off him with a single and a double, and I make two really nice plays in the field, and after that was when I received my offer. And honestly, since the fall, I like knew I always wanted to go there. Um, it just seemed like the best fit for me academically and all that, like distance away from home, what, what the program they have there. Um, so they offered me. I told them I'll call them back later that day, told my parents, told my coaches, called them back, committed, and that's all she wrote from there. Yeah, it's interesting to think about like how much emphasis you're putting on making sure it was the right fit. Yeah. Right. So I think um, as it like as it plays out these days, a lot of guys look at the name and they say, I have offers from these schools. And don't get me wrong. It's sick. Like when you're going through that process, I still look back on it and think about how much fun it was. So like shed some light on you say it was the right distance from home. It was the right fit academically. Like what does that mean to you where you're looking at a, a number of schools while you're going through that process and you're trying to find the one that is going to be your home for four years. So what are those other factors that you were thinking about and how, how much importance did you put on those outside of baseball? Yeah, so first, like, obviously I wanted to get a little further away from home just to, like, see what it's like. Like, I've only known what it's like in North Brunswick, New Jersey. Like, I play right. for the baseball warehouse. We have two big tournaments a year that will go travel somewhere else. But 
for the most part, we stay within around Middlesex County. Um, so, like, I wanted to go out, see what it was like. Binghamton, three hours away or so. Uh, I thought that was just the right distance. Um, what, it, was, it wasn't a terrible drive going up there or anything, so that was nice. Um, other thing, the main other things I looked at when it came to baseball was, since I was a kid, I always wanted to play in a regional. I thought that was the coolest thing ever. Um, Binghamton was recruiting me in 2018, and they had just been to the regional in 2013, 14, and 16. Awesome. So based on that trend, I was like, that is awesome, and I cannot wait to go there. Um, Academically shoot. speaking, too, like yeah. what, what majors were you looking at when you were in college, and then how much weight did you put on the, the school part of the decision when you're picking a college? Oof. So I wanted, I wanted to go to a good school that I knew would be challenging to get into, which Binghamton definitely was. Uh, I'll talk about that real quick, actually. So my GPA in high school was not the best. It, I mean, it was 3.1-ish, but Binghamton average GPA that they accept is around 3.7, and the average SAT they accept is around a 1,400. I think it was a 1,370. So the recruiting coordinator like, asked for my transcripts and all that. He saw that I only had around a 3.0, 3.1, whatever it was. Um, so I had to take, I obviously had to score decent on the ACT or SAT, whatever standardized test I took. Um, so I, at first I took the SAT, I didn't get the score that I needed to get to go there. So then I tried the ACT and I was one point short of that. So then I had to take the SAT again. And thankfully the third time I finally got it. Um, but yeah, academics it, like baseball doesn't last forever. Like right. you, have, you have to pick a school where you can go to and where your degree will matter and mean something in the real, real world. Um, so that's something I care a lot about. Right. And I think, I think what's interesting to note too is like you talk about how Binghamton still stayed on you even though they saw you through some ups and downs in your high school career. And then, you know, you still were able to find a place where even after dealing with some academic challenges, you're able to find your way in there. So that can, that can like speak volumes to your ability or any baseball player's ability really to just battle through adversity and keep chipping away to, to reach the places you want to reach, right? So what, what I want to tie this into is you had the opportunity to play in a regional, yes. right? So how now being at Binghamton, right, you get to this college level now, how has that adversity changed at all? Like, have you, have you still had to battle things to get there? What challenges have you had to get over, you personally and your team, yep. to make sure you get to this level where we can win a conference and we can go play in a regional? Oh, yeah. Now we'll, we'll get into my college story a little bit more here. We're talking about adversity. So my freshman year, uh, we only played four weekends, and then COVID hit. Boom. Done. Uh, those four weekends, I went two for five. Didn't start a single game. It was just pinch hits. Like I went two for five, whatever. Uh, COVID happened, all that. So we come back in the fall. Um, our freshman All-American third baseman comes back for a sixth year when, or for a fifth year when we all thought he was leaving. Our first team All-Conference second baseman comes back for another fifth year or for his sixth year, actually, when we all thought he was leaving. Um, so that was kind of like, well, like, I'm really going to have to work hard to like, win a spot here. Um Ah, uh, middle of the fall, I do. I go down for a front squat. I feel a pop in my back, and nothing was the same after that. Two months later, I ended up finding out it was a herniated disc. I had to do months of uh, physical therapy, rehab, all that, and then by March, I want to say, 
it just like I was awful. I couldn't bend down. I couldn't tie my shoes. I couldn't put my socks on, whatever it was. So I had to get surgery. I spent my 20th birthday on April 8th in a hospital bed, knocked out on meds after getting back surgery. Uh, not how not how I was expecting to spend my 20th birthday. Um, so uh, that entire year, we I stayed home. I didn't go back to school because all classes were online. So I had to do my rehab at home. I couldn't move really. Like I was in a bed like for a really long time, and I couldn't move from that. Um, our team-wise, I wasn't there to experience that season, but in in a nice way. Like we struggled. We didn't make the conference tournament that year, um, which really hurt. So whatever. It was a huge like looking back year. Was a lot of a lot of adversity. A lot of like I was I was questioning myself whether like am I ever gonna be the same player I was before my injury, whatever. Come back in the fall, uh, my first week back after my back surgery, I'm doing a broad jump and I, whatever it is, I landed too hard, I landed weird, I re-injured my back. Didn't, didn't tell anyone about it, I was not gonna let it stop me. Um, so that pain lasted until the middle of September and Thankfully, I just woke up one day that went away. But our fall season in Binghamton is September 1st to around the first week in October. So for those first two weeks of September, we're having team practices and stuff, and I'm battling through this pain. It it was awful. Um, The rest of the fall comes around. We obviously play in a lot of inner squads. We play two scrimmages. I did not get a single hit that entire fall in an inner squad scrimmage. Whatever. I I had not run the bases or been on the bases in a live game since spring of 2019, and it is fall 2021. Whatever. I come home for winter break. I worked as hard as I've ever worked in my life before. Um, season comes around. First weekend, we're at Lamar. Uh, Lamar in Texas. I do not start a single game that weekend. I did get the pinch hit once. I went one for one. The next weekend, we are on the road against number 23, Old Dominion. Friday night, I did not start as well. Saturday, our first baseman goes for a ball that was thrown up the line, breaks his wrist. I go in the game right there. Um, it's freezing. We're playing the number 23 team in the country. It's my first, it's my first time in a real baseball game that actually matters in almost two years. First ball hit to me in a game, little slow dribbler right to my left, straight off my glove. All the fans are chirping me about it. Whatever, that was awful. Two innings later, it's, it's still freezing cold. Bases are loaded. A ch- high choppers hit to me. I throw it home. I short hop it. Thank God the catcher saved me and picked it. Um, I did go one for three that game, thankfully, but it just it was not the start I was thinking I was going to have. Fast forward to the next weekend after that, uh, we were at VMI. Um, the position for first base was up for grabs between me, a righty hitter, and this other player on our team was a lefty hitter. So what our head coach did was whoever was pitching that day, the opposite-handed batter would hit. Yep. So Friday night, it was a righty on the mound, so the lefty got the start. Um, then they brought in a lefty out of the pen, so then I came in the game in the fifth inning, Went two for three. Next day, Saturday, I there's a lefty on the mound, so I start that game. I also go two for three that game, or 
maybe one for three, something like that. Um, it was good, whatever. That was my that was my first ever collegiate start, which I thought was the coolest thing ever. The next day we are, it's Sunday. Lefties on the mound. I'm starting again just because the lefties on the mound. Um, it's my second it's my second ever career start, and top of the ninth comes around. Bases loaded. We are two outs and we are down two runs. I hit a bases clearing double to put us up one in the last inning, and then our closer comes in the game, locks it down. And from there on for about th th three weeks, I want to say, I had that position on lock. Um, I started every game the next series when we went to Alabama, then Mississippi State, and then the first two weekends of conference play. Um, and then for whatever reason, I made another error after that. I did not play for... I want to say four more weeks right in the heart of the season. Um, honestly, did not think I was going to play again the rest of the season because they moved our catcher to first base and they let the freshman catcher who ended up being a freshman All-American catch. So you can picture how that worked out. It's the Now we're in the last regular, last regular season series of the year against UMBC. Our second team all-conference first baseman rolls his ankle rounding second base, and I have to go in the game right there. That game, I went two for four with a double off the wall, a home run, a fly out to the war and like two fly outs to the warning track. After that was conference tournament. We were the two seed. Um, it was my first ever college conference tournament. Uh, I don't know if the listeners know this, but if you win your conference tournament, you automatically get to go to a regional. Um, so obviously there's a lot of value placed in that. Conference tournament comes around. I go seven for 13 with five doubles. Uh, it was the coolest thing ever. I just, I honestly just blacked out. Like it just, <laughs> I let my preparation and all that just take over and it did. We dogpile. I got to dogpile for the first time in my entire life, which was also the coolest thing ever. And then we go to a regional, uh, we, we get to play against the number two team in the country in Stanford, uh, which was also the coolest thing ever. NCAA pays for your flight, hotel, all that. They put us in a four-star hotel. Like, we felt like big leaguers. Like, school was over, finals were done. We All we had to worry about was baseball, and that's it. That's the best part of the year. Oh, yeah. So we got to do that. That experience in whole was just so cool. Like, it, I almost had to pinch myself while I was there. It was just awesome. And then what other teams were in that regional with you? So it was Stanford, which was the number two team in the country. It was Texas State was the two seed, who was the number 13 team in the country. And UC Santa Barbara, who was the number 23 team in the country. And then there's the Binghamton Bearcats, who in RPI are 200-something ranked in the country. Yeah, but <laughs> listen, you win your conference and you get to oh, go yeah. out there and play with those boys. Oh, That's yeah. awesome, man. We had uh, we had Joe Papio on the podcast a couple weeks ago now talking about winning the conference at Ryder, too, and just saying how awesome that experience is going to a regional. So I think, well, first of all, your memory is super impressive that you can run down game yeah. by game and week by week and talk about what went on. And I, your perspective is really important here where it's like the question I asked to lead you off there was just has that adversity changed and what does that adversity look like? And you're able to pinpoint all of these happenings throughout the season where you're like this happened that went well and then this happened that went wrong and then I came back and did this and how it's we talk all the time about just riding that roller coaster and mm -hmm. staying on that wave and understanding that we're not always going to be at the peak. What are we going to do about it when we're at the when we're at the valley, right? So, what's what's interesting to see too is like how that stuff came full circle for you, where it was like you were in the beginning of your career, the guy that was 
whatever, we all got impacted by COVID, but then you're the guy that gets hurt in the weight room. Mm -hmm. And then you end up getting these opportunities because other guys around you get hurt and you're always ready to hop in there, right? That's Mm -hmm. something that it's really easy to say, like you have to be ready to go when your number gets called. But for you to come back from an injury and then be able to pick your boys up when they end up in your shoes, I think that's something really important that kind of gives a little bit of real life aspect to it where it's like, this isn't just something that's talked about. This is something that really goes on. Mm -hmm. And like you're saying, when you hop in there and you have those chances, you're finding a way to make the most of them. Oh, yeah. That's something that a lot of guys could kind of put their head in the sand and say, I haven't played in four weeks. Mm-hmm. Who knows if I'm going to be able to change anything, and then we can just go 0 for 4 and throw it away, right? Yeah. And you're, you're able to ride this wave in such a way that, listen, good things happen when I have my opportunity, and just because something bad happens, just because I face some vers- adversity or I run into a brick wall, doesn't mean I can't come out on top on the other side. So that stuff is sick, and then to see how that applies to your team, where like you're saying, the adversity is you play in a small conference, your RPI is in the 200s, but you win the conference, and you get to go play in a regional. So it's awesome to see how that kind of culture has uh, has impacted you, and maybe you know I don't want to I don't want to you know make you look too big because I know you're a (laughs) humble kind of kid, but you know maybe there's something to be said about your mindset impacting the culture there too. I can imagine that at Binghamton there's a lot of similar guys around each other and if that mindset that you're bringing to the table here is something that applies to your whole team, then I think that puts you guys in pretty good position. Oh yeah. As it applies to your injury, right? You have always been a guy, listen, I'm not trying to insult you (laughs) in any way. You've always been like a smaller guy. You're you're a little bit smaller, but you hit bombs and you've always had a cannon as long as I've (laughs) known you since the first time I saw you play when you were 11, 12 years old. So even though your injury happens in the weight room, right? Where you're, you're a guy that likes to throw a ton of weight on the bar and move it, and that stuff is sick. How much emphasis do you still put on your weight room performance? How much value do you still put on the strength and conditioning portion of the game, even coming back off an injury like that early in your career? Yeah, so if I'm being completely honest, I'm stronger now than I was before my injury. Um, there are certain lifts where I'm actually lifting more now than I was before my injury, which is also crazy because... When I got hurt, like I told myself, like I'm never lifting heavy again. Like I can't, I can't like afford to hurt my back again because that injury is something that like 50 year olds have to deal with, not 20 year olds, right? Right, and it's tough to come back from. Yeah, yeah, and like yeah, missing a season and watching our team struggle from my couch at home was one of one of the worst feelings ever. Um, but to go off that, the weight room, I, I would not be the player I am without it. Um. I think the reason that my freshman year of high school I could hang around and compete with you on the varsity level was because that past that previous winter was the winter when I started getting in the weight room. Right. Like I always had I always had like a decent swing like I could I could swing it I could pick it a little, um, but physically I was not there. Like I I could not hit an eighty mile an hour fastball in eighth grade. Like I wasn't there. Um, so yeah, if it if it wasn't for the weight room, I probably don't make varsity as a freshman. Um, I mean, if it wasn't for the weight room, I'm not I'm not a Division One baseball player. Is the base, is the bottom line? Right. I mean, we're fortunate here at the warehouse that that's kind of a foundation of the program. Is we have we have these teams and we have batting cages and pitching lanes where we can get our baseball related work in. But we're we're super lucky that we have a whole weight room set up in the back mm-hmm. here where it's everything you need. And I think. That kind of speaks, it kind of goes back to what we're talking about dealing with adversity where mm-hmm. we have everything we need back there, but it's got that like junkyard feel being yeah. in here where it's like, listen, I'm not going in here to, we don't have mirrors. 
Yeah. We're not going in there to check out our biceps. No. We're not, you know, it's not like there's chicks in the gym that we can, <laughs> you know, we're trying to get their numbers while we're lifting. You come in here with your buddies, you're all getting after it, and you're, there's one mission, right? We're here yeah. to get bigger, faster, stronger so that we can perform on the field. And yeah. I think, you know, I don't know if it just happened to work out that way. I know I know, Joe, you know, <laughs> wants us to be tough guys. But oh, yeah. I, think, I think the point kind of speaks to the, the levels you've been able to get to in the mentality that you're talking about now where it's like, listen, if I, you know, maybe I got injured because of, of a lifting accident. Mm-hmm. It happens. But your fallback is I'm not going to be strong enough to succeed if I cut out this portion of my game. So talk about, because I'm interested in the story, right? Obviously you said you went down on a front squat, but talk about your mentality as it applies to like those typical lifts that everybody talks about. And then Mm -hmm. have you shifted that any now on the back end of your injury? Like, is there stuff that you've changed? You've always been a guy that succeeds in the weight room. And I remember seeing you in high school, like how is Tan putting this weight up on his his deadlift, his squat, whatever. So have you changed your mentality in there at all as far as the exercises you do, the things you work on? No, I mean... A lot of credit goes to Joe, and he would always stay on our butts in high school. Um, but, yeah, if you look at me now, like, I don't have abs. I don't have a chest. Like, no part of my body is really, like, that defined. Um, so everyone always asks me, like, they'll see me, like, bench the second most on the team or set the school deadlift record my freshman year or whatever it was. Um, and they always ask, like, how did you do it? And the easy answer is Coach Joe every single week just told me to keep adding five pounds on the bar and – eventually you'll be able to do a lot of weight that way. So that's kind of how I got that strength from. Right. And then, so on the back end of your injury, are you still looking to set deadlift records and still getting the getting the bench press up there? Or has your, uh, has your mindset changed at all? No is an acceptable answer. I just, I want to know, being as dedicated to the weight room as you have been, has that helped you again on the back end of this injury? Or has have you had to transform your ways a little bit? So when I go in the weight room, like, this is probably the worst part about my mentality, but I always, I, I always want to be the strongest guy in there. Like, you don't want to, like, have someone looking up, looking down at you, like, be stronger than you. Um, so that's just, like, that's, like, kind of my compete factor in the weight room. Like, I always want to be the guy that's lifting the most weight in there, which, honestly, is what got me hurt in the first place. So maybe some things do have to change and whatnot. Um, but to go off that, um, it, depends on the, it depends on the exercise. Fair enough. Um, you won't, you will never see me front squatting anything above 225 anymore. And the weight I hurt my back, uh, front squatting was 315. It's just, there are certain exercises that the pros don't outweigh the cons or the the reward doesn't outweigh the risk for me. Um, so I've gotten more into other sort of exercises. Like now I'm really into bench. I'm really into reverse lunge. Um, my deadlift, my deadlift is always good. Like, for example, to this year at test day, um, one of my best friend on the team, he broke my deadlift record. I had the record; it was five hundred for thirteen reps. He did five hundred for eighteen reps. It was absurd. <laughs> um, so whatever, I knew I wasn't gonna beat that. So I told myself I would do like a weight I knew I could handle. Which so I, I chose to do four fifty five. Our freshman All-American that I was just talking about earlier, he did 455 for 11. At first, I was only going to do 455 for like five or six maybe. And then I was at the fifth rep, and I was like, I can keep going. And then I got to the the seventh, eighth, ninth, and I was like, screw this. I'm getting more than the freshman All-American. I'm not going to let him say he could do more than me. So like that's kind of the mentality I still have. 
I mean, it must be working now because my back is still healthy and my body feels awesome. Um, wouldn't say I recommend it to everybody, but it's been working for me. So yeah, I mean that that compete kind of mentality is the important part because I, I I always have a tough time thinking that's something that like we can switch on and off. I think that's something that it it's like a, how you do something is how you do everything type yep. of mentality where yep. like if I if I can compete in the weight room because I want to put up more weight than the next guy, I can compete in the classroom because I want to do better academically. I can compete on the field because I want to beat the guy that's on the opposition. Yep. So. It's it's awesome to see like a real life example like you're talking about of how that carries over into everything. Obviously, we you know you you talk about how you stand in the face of adversity and you're able to come back from these things that happen on the field, yeah. right? You come back from an injury and you still want to be the strongest guy in the weight room, oh, right? Yeah. And then you figure out a way in high school to get your grades to a point where you can get into Binghamton, yeah. right? So I think the moral of the story, and you could feel free to correct me if I'm wrong, but the moral of the story is if you have that competitive mindset where you want to be the best at whatever it is you're doing, that's yep. going to carry you a long way. For sure. Um, it's not just having that mindset, but like you said, you can't just pick and choose when you want to turn it on. You have to right. do it for everything. Um, it says a lot about a person who competes at a very high level when no one's watching as well as when someone's watching because most of the time when you're hitting on your own, when you're lifting in a small gym by yourself, whatever it is, like there's no coach pushing you to do that, do this. Like you just got to be able to have be self-disciplined and just have it in you to be able to compete with yourself. Yeah. I think that's important, especially these days, like with how social media has taken over everything. And, and I always, I always have an interesting perspective on this or an interesting like route to this conversation because I don't want to say posting yourself hitting bombs on social media is a bad thing. I don't want to say that it's not a really useful tool, even as it applies to like the recruiting process, mm -hmm. right? But when your focus is how many likes can I get on Instagram, yeah, that starts to get away from what you're saying, where it has to be what's going on when no one's watching. So here's the question I'll throw at you, because I know the other day, I'm going to put you on blast a little bit. <laughs> I saw you with your tripod set up getting whatever lift it was where you had a bunch of plates on the bar. So what do you, what's your opinion on, on this? And I don't know if I've ever brought this up before, but it's how do you translate the mentality where you're talking about doing the right thing and going hard when no one's watching? Or is there a little added motivation there saying, I want to put more weight on the bar and get this bar back up. I want to hit a home run because I want to put it on Instagram later on. Does that, does that question make sense? Yes, yes. There are definitely, especially with kids nowadays and social media and all that, there are definitely alter alternative motives that aren't the best in the world which like there's nothing wrong like there's nothing wrong with it well and there's but, always there's always something that can that can do that for you right there's always yeah. something that can be an external force that might not be leading you in the right direction yeah. but if if it's like listen i want to hit a i want to hit some bombs today so that i can put it on my instagram later i don't know if that's no, a terrible yeah. driver yeah no i think I, I honestly, I also, I have a thing for people who just post videos all the time, like, like no, no one cares about your fifth swing in BP on a random, like, afternoon, like, no one right. cares, like, if you do it in a game and, like, you can show off a little bit, like, sure, go ahead, um, like, get to that point first. Amen. Don't, don't be that guy that's posting all this practice, making, like, making videos of, like, their lifting programs and all that, like, they have nothing to back it up with. Like, right. you'll look up their stats, they hit 100 last year. Like, right. why would anyone want to watch what you have to offer if you 
if it obviously isn't working for you sort of thing. Right. I, I'm with you there. I think, I think that's kind of the distinction that gets made here is we can celebrate success once we've earned it. Yes. But when it comes to getting to that point, that's the part where you got to take that weight on your own shoulders and you got to say, this stuff's really important to me and I'm going to execute it on the front end oh, because yeah. then you're not trying to hide from anything on the back end, right? Mm-hmm. When you go make that Instagram poster, you're a high school kid that's tweeting your highlights at coaches at schools you want to go to. There's not going to be a differentiation between the guy they see on the field, the guy they see in these videos, compared to the guy they're going to see in the weight room, the guy you are in the classroom, yep. the guy you're going to be at practice with your teammates. So that's I, pre- I appreciate your perspective on that one. It's something that, you know, I social media, not that I'm too old, but tweeting your videos out and posting stuff on Instagram like that wasn't huge when I was in high school. Mm-hmm. And I think that's part of the conversation that I kind of miss these days is yeah. at, even though whatever, I've only been out of college for two and a half years now I kind of have a little bit of old school lenses mm-hmm. in that conversation where it's like listen I, I came in here and the only videos I got were the ones Joe took of me <laughs> oh, yeah. so um, it's it's definitely something that is certainly part of our game and I think you know it, it's awesome to hear your perspective about how the right way to do it mm-hmm. and just how, how do you keep yourself motivated personally and then you know how are we able to celebrate success on the back end and I think when that's the approach that we take to it it can be it can be fun instead of something that you know we yeah. have to sit here and kind of try to break down oh yeah so speaking of blasting stuff out on social media and and you know improvements and such Binghamton's got a new 60 million dollar ballpark <laughs> that opened last year so talk about the transition like did, when they were recruiting you in high school, did you know that thing was going up? No, I when they were recruiting me, I had no idea about it because they were recruiting me my junior year. Um, I heard about it my senior spring, I want to say. But yeah, when I, when I was being recruited, like the coaches never used that as a recruiting tool. Um, when I went on my visit, <laughs> their visit was actually it was a small. When I went on my visit, they showed me the locker room. It must have been. 20 feet wide and 60 feet long. No, not even 60. It must have been 15 feet wide and 50 feet long. You had a tight space. Yeah, and there's there's only 28 lockers in there for 32 guys. Um, It honestly was not what I was expecting from a Division I baseball team that had just been to three regionals and whatever. But that, that facility had nothing to do with me and my recruiting process. So then how cool has it been for you to kind of put... Put your put your hard work and your effort into this school. Buy into the program at Binghamton, and, and you know, ball out the way you have, and mm-hmm. you know, work your tail off to get to these heights. And then, how cool has it been for you to be part of this transition now, where you can say, "Listen, I was here before we had any of this yeah. stuff, and now I get to reap the benefits and kind of enjoy this this new atmosphere." Yeah, it's awesome. I think it's uh, it's a perfect example of just hard work paying off. Uh, Bing, a little insight on Binghamton, they didn't become Division One until the early 2000s. They were a Division okay. Three school. So, like, they had to work their way all the way from the bottom, being a Division Three school, all the way to a Division One school. Now being a Division One school with a $60 million facility, which is honestly probably the best in the Northeast. Um, I think that's the best example of that. Um, it speaks to the coaches and the culture that they built there. Um, from a player standpoint, I think it's the coolest thing ever. We I believe it. We walk into our locker room and you feel like a professional baseball player. Um, we have our own players lounge. We get uh, there's a nutrition center. We have our own weight room. We are the only school. We are the only team in the school that has their own weight room specific just for that sport. 
which I which I think is awesome. We are the only we are the only team in the school that has their own academic center where people can study, do homework, whatever they need to do. Um, all the other teams have to use the it's called the Student Athlete uh, Success Center. It's just like a room with a bunch of areas you can like study, do whatever with. Um, but yeah, it's just it's awesome. I words can't describe it. Yeah, I mean, there's so, no question now as to how you fit into that mold at Binghamton, right? Mm-hmm. Where you're saying, listen, they got to work. They're grinders that they got to work their way up in a in a place in upstate New York where it's cold all yeah. year. Oh yeah, right. You got to work your way up from being this D three team, and now you're on the D one level, and now people are buying in where you have the support around you to make that next step, and mm-hmm. then you're coming off a regional appearance. Yep. So it it makes a lot of sense. The dots connect there, and it's awesome to hear talking about just the recruiting process, everything we've gone through so yep. far, just to hear how there's a lot of there's a lot of stories out there about especially kids from our area mm-hmm. where New Jersey's a baseball hotbed and kids will go all oh, over yeah. the country and then oh, they yeah. end up coming back. Mm-hmm. So it's awesome to hear your story where it's like listen, I I did my due diligence, I put my research in, I found the right fit and now I'm at a place where the program is continuing to grow the same way you continue to grow and that yeah. has to be that has to be pretty cool to be there and experience it that way. Yes, very. The thing that the thing that I tell all my friends at home is Binghamton is not the most talented team in the country. It's just our culture there is unbelievable. There's no egos. Everyone is friends with everyone, as crazy as that sounds. Uh, our apartment is a two-story apartment that holds 30 people. Our entire team, except for freshmen, live there. So you can picture that dynamic, what that's like. Um, and the coaches are the same way. Um this fall, we had fall break actually, and I actually got to spend uh, spend a few hours at my assistant coach's house. He had a few of us over for dinner. Um, he's been at Binghamton for 19, 20 years, I want to say now. And we were talking about his journey as a coach because I also want to get into college coaching when I'm out of college. So I was asking him for advice and what his journey was like. Um, after twenty, after their first two regional appearances. Um, our assistant coach, head assistant coach slash recruiting coordinator, had an opportunity to take a job to be the head hitting coach at Tulane University. He turned it down. He he loved the culture that he built here from the ground up at Binghamton, and he didn't want to leave it. He found he found his happy place and he loves it. So that that meant a lot to me. That a coach that honestly is not making a lot of money in a small northeast school where it's cold and it's tough to recruit like not when i was being recruited like mike Rolotti told me told me about binghamton i was like what's that like i never heard of it before right um but it means a lot for a guy like that to turn down an opportunity to go to a big time school like tulane where the campus is beautiful the weather's nice the baseball's unreal and he chose to stay at Binghamton instead. Yeah, it's got to be awesome to play for a guy like that, where it's like, listen, it, it goes back to what we're saying before. How you do something is how you do everything, yep. right? Like, it was important enough to your coach that he's like, I'm sticking with my guys and I'm staying mm-hmm. where I built things. So it's got to be – there might be a little bit of a double-edged sword there, right, yep. where it's like, listen, this is an awesome guy to play for, but also – and not a double-edged sword because you have the right perspective. Mm-hmm. But the flip side of that is – I don't want to let coach down, right? Like coach is going to oh, stay yeah. on me because this is his baby. This program is what he built and oh, we got to yeah. make sure we do it the right way. Oh, so, yeah. and I mean, listen, it's awesome to, to see how all the pieces are fitting into place where you, you find the school that's right for you. You got this awesome new facility that you get to 
that you get to reap the benefits of and enjoy, and then you have a coaching staff behind you that's putting you in good positions. And it sounds like you got a solid group of guys going oh, on yeah. over there. Oh, that yeah. I mean, I don't want to I don't want to breeze over that you got thirty guys on two floors because I know. <laughs> At Rutgers, we had a ton of fun where we weren't all together in one building like that, but it was most, probably 90% of our team outside of the freshmen lived in the same apartment complex, and yeah. we had a ton of fun that way. So I guess, like, touch on that a little bit. Like, college isn't just, college baseball isn't just on the field, right? It's not just practice and games. So yes. how, how much fun have you had? What kind, of, what kind of stuff have you learned? Like, what's been new to you living on campus, being away from home? Like, Give me some pros and cons off the field wise of being, you know, a couple hours from home and being on your own. And how has that dynamic and that part of life treated you? Yeah. So cons, obviously, like I miss my parents. Like last year, I hadn't been home from January to August, which was the longest I've ever gone without seeing my parents. Um, we came back from winter break. Season started. Won our conference, went to regional and it was straight to summer ball. Yep. So that's something I did miss. I did like going that long without seeing my parents was like crazy, honestly. Or not without seeing my parents, but without being home in New Jersey and like being around you guys at the warehouse too. It was just it was new to me. But I I look at I look at opportunities like that as a challenge. Right. Like can am I able to live on my own like that? Like what type of person will I be when I don't have my parents just a like a ten foot walk away from me? Right. Um, so those are, those are obviously the cons, but there's, there's, there's always something you could like make out of it to turn it into a positive. Um, the pros of going that far away, um, if it really teaches you just basic life skills. My, my parents always told me, and I, they all, my parents always tried to like teach me how to cook, whatever, and I always told them like, I don't need to do that, like I'll go to the dining hall, I'll do whatever. And then you realize how expensive that stuff can be, and you're yep. like, oh, my God, I have to start cooking. Yep. So, like, I've learned how to cook a bunch of different food. I, Through my teammates, um, I've learned better eating habits. Um, you just you learn what it's like to grow up and, like, be a man almost. Like, when you're, when you're away from home like that, it teaches you a lot about yourself. Um, there's a lot that goes on that you can't prepare for. Absolutely. Um, and that's that's honestly what builds character right there. Yeah, and I, I've always said that it's it's awesome in that like team environment when you get to college that you have a bunch of like minded people around yeah. you. Like that's something even now coaching at the college level, I'll use at, like in the recruiting process is listen, you guys are all gonna end up living together, you're gonna be the best friends and at the very least it comes down to if your alarm doesn't go off for your early morning lift one morning, your buddy's gonna knock on your door and pick <laughs> oh, you up. Yeah. And if you're studying for that final exam, all your buddies that you're living with are studying for their final exams yep. too, where it's not like your roommate's coming in blasting music, bringing his buddies over yep. while you have to study. So I think that aspect of it, at least from my perspective, was super valuable when I was going through it, where it was like, listen, we got a bunch of guys going through the same thing, and you might figure it out differently than the way I did, but then I can see whatever it is you're doing and try yep. to put those pieces together too. So enjoyable experience at Binghamton so far? Oh yeah, oh, perfect. Yeah. perfect. Just like what I said earlier, um, when people ask like, "Why are we good?" Like, we don't have a bunch of guys that are pumping mid nineties or a bunch of guys that can hit balls four hundred feet. It's it's honestly our team chemistry. We the relationship we have off the field is just as strong as the relationship we have on the field, and it it shows in our in our play. Um, it's it's I can't really describe. I don't know how to describe it, but it's just. Uh, 
it, it's team. It comes down to team chemistry. And yeah, it's unbelievable. And you don't have to describe it more than that. I just think like that. I'm glad you said that the relationships you have off the field end up being more important than the ones yeah. on the field. Because listen, if you if we've all heard stories about how oh I don't you know I'm the shortstop and I don't get along with the pitcher, so mm-hmm. I might you know let that ground ball go through my yeah. legs, whatever. Yeah. I mean that might be a little more like movie script storybook <laughs> kind of stuff. I don't know if it really happens in real life, but when you don't have any of those doubts in your mind, where it's like listen. I want to pick up my teammate, not just because he's on my team, but because last week when my car broke down at, this, <laughs> at study hall, he came and picked me up and yep. brought me home, yep. right? So I like that, that whole portion of it is super important, and it goes back to what you're saying about the culture yep. of the team, right? If, you can, if your coaches can do a good enough job, as it seems they have, to put all these like-minded guys in the same yep. situation, and then these guys still get along with each other when they're hanging out, living in tight quarters all the mm-hmm. time, that's a recipe for success that, you know, you guys coming off a of regional have definitely reached. Yeah, that's, that's another thing I also wanted to say. Honestly, I think when Mike Garlotti recommended my name to the coach of Binghamton, I think he, he also understood how much of, like, a family guy I kind of was coming through the warehouse. Like, I don't know if this is the right, right way to phrase it, but, like, I've never cheated on the warehouse. I've never played for another travel organization. I've never went, I've never went to another gym, period, besides the warehouse. Um... And he knows how much I value like that atmosphere and that relationship with the people that I have through the warehouse. And I think he honestly knows some of that, some of what that culture is like at Binghamton and thought that I could use that. And thank God he was right. Yeah, I mean, it sounds similar to what you're talking about where your coach gets offered an opportunity at Tulane and he's yep. like, I'm sticking with my guys. Yep. Like you have that same mentality and the compatibility makes a ton of sense, right? Yep. You're looking at it and you're like, listen, I have... Um, going to stick with my people and be loyal to the guys that have gotten me here. Oh, yeah. And then you get to – you're lucky enough that when you go to college, you get to jump into a similar type of situation oh, where yeah. that's the that's the culture you were used to growing up, and then that's the culture you're into now, which mm-hmm. is which is awesome. We've talked a ton with – I talked a ton with Joe Papio. I talked a ton with Hondo about finding the right fit mm-hmm. when it comes to a college. And everything you're saying, and that's why I keep going back and reiterating it <laughs> because, like, I think – especially as it pertains to like I post my commitment yeah. picture on Instagram, right? Like the name is awesome. Yeah. But when you can end up in a place, right? Like you start off your recruiting process saying what's Binghamton. Yeah. And then a couple of months ago you're in a regional. Yeah. Right? So when you can put all of these pieces together and what what's the culture like? What are the coaches like? What mm-hmm. kind of guys am I going to be around, right? And all of those things come together. There's awesome. success, yep. right? There's success there. So, uh, you know, I might I might sound like I'm getting a little repetitive, but <laughs> like I think that point is super important. And then having conversations with a bunch of different guys, that's a topic that always comes up yep. where it's like we have to find a place where how am I going to operate for four years and what's that going to look like when I'm calling this different place home? Yep. If we can put those pieces together and we can find the right formula, it seems like the outcome is success. So yep. I, I, I don't want to – I don't want to – say the same thing over and over again but I think that portion of the conversation is super important where it's like yep. look we can we can make something out of this as long as we're all on the same page pulling in the same direction yep. got to make sure it doesn't fly under the radar no <laughs> doubt no doubt exactly so I'm glad you brought up that you're a family oriented kid because it if not anywhere else at least in our circles your dad John Tan is an <laughs> absolute legend so go into your relationship with your dad your relationship with your parents and just what that has meant to you so far in your journey? Yeah, my parents are everything. They, uh, they know everything about me. Uh, I wouldn't be the person I am without them. Uh, little fun story about my dad, actually. One of the first life lessons I can actually remember him teaching me is when you commit to something, you commit to it and you do it until it's over with. 
the best example I have of that is my first year ever playing rec baseball. I was nine years old. I was not good at all. I was actually <laughs> one of the worst baseball players you could probably ever see in your entire life. Alex Antigua drills me in my ankle. One of the first at-bats of the season. I couldn't walk for a week. I told my dad I never want to play baseball again. I'm never stepping in the batter's box ever again. And he sat me down. He had that talk with me about how you committed to this season, even though it's just rec baseball. You committed to this season. You're going to finish it whether you like it or not. And I was like, oh, whatever. Like, I'll, I'll do it for a few more games. I'll just sit the bench and play right field, whatever it was. Uh, I don't. I probably got one hit the entire season. It was awful. But my last at-bat of the season, I hit a stand-up double. And all I remember thinking is, wow, that was kind of cool. And then, like, I was still bad. Like, I was still very <laughs> bad at baseball. So, but I just, I remember that feeling. It was the last at-bat of the rec season. Like, there was no more games after that. I didn't play travel ball. There was, like, I wasn't on any travel team, whatever. Um, so the rec season ends in the spring. Summer comes around. I'm asking my dad every day to come to the field and throw me BP just because I wanted to replicate that feeling of hitting the ball over the shortstop's head and just having you roll in the gap and running to second base. Um, after that, I started hitting every day, and then at, at a certain point, I turned into the player I am today, and so I never stopped after that. So, um, like I tell people all the time, if it wasn't for my dad, there's a good chance I might not even be playing baseball after nine years old. So, yeah, I mean, listen, it's 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 awesome that you can look back and you can tell those stories because yep. I think I know doing lessons now, there's a lot of kids where their dads will come in and their dads will say, I've been telling him this and he doesn't listen to me. Yeah. And it's like, it's cool. Cause granted we all go through that period in our career, right? Oh, yeah. Where it's like, I don't want to listen to my dad. But then when, you know, if, if you have a really good relationship, like, like you and I have been blessed to have with our dads, right? Yeah. You look back on it from this standpoint now and you're like, you know what? If it wasn't for that guy, even though I was chirping him for 10 years from the time I was 9 to 19, yep. you know, it, would I be where I am now? So big shout-out to, to John and Emma Tan and, yep. and uh, getting you to the position you're in now. But I think what's really cool, too, is it'd be pretty easy. I always say this, right? Like, my dad, being in the position he's in at Rutgers, right? Like, I had this opportunity to run around those guys and be around the mm -hmm. team growing up, right? I always say he didn't have to bring me to work with him. Like, yep. he could have hired a babysitter and left me at home, and I never would have been exposed to that stuff. Oh, yeah. In a similar way, you're saying you asked your dad to go to the field every day, and talking to, talking about it now, it's like, well, of course he just brought me, yeah. right? But that's the same perspective, right? Like, to say, I asked my dad to bring me to the field every day, the next yep. part in that equation is, and then he did, and we got in the car, and we went, and he threw me BP. So that, yeah. it's awesome to hear that. that. I actually, there's more I could say about that. So... My dad did not play any sports in high school. Like he would play pickup basketball, whatever it was, and then he tried out for the fencing team at his at in college. He made that team, but whatever, it's fencing. Like it was whatever. Um, my dad really didn't know much about baseball until I started playing it. By the time I was thirteen years old, I honestly want to say my dad liked baseball more than I liked baseball, <laughs> and just seeing him like want like seeing him like be so interested in baseball and like almost like being a student of the game like I was like motivated me to be like him because like obviously a dad's a son's biggest role model right so seeing his level of commitment added to my level of commitment and that also got me to where I am today yeah it's got to be it's got to be kind of cool to like because in a way you're learning about the game at the same time mm -hmm. your dad is right yeah. and it's it's funny that you say that because from my perspective as an outsider like 
your dad's one of the most knowledgeable baseball guys I've oh, I've yeah. been around now. It wasn't always like that. He's on he's on top of everything. He knows yep. what who every big league team is playing today yep. and what yep. pitchers on the mound. So mm-hmm. that's that's really cool that you're able to to have that memory and go back on oh, that. Yeah. Man, it's, that's that's awesome. So from there, other than your dad, right? Yeah. Biggest baseball idols. Who do you look up to in modern game? You want, you want me personally, or do you want like a major league guy? I'll, I'll do both. Ma- major league guys. There's a podcast I listened to of Kevin Pillar a few years a uh, year ago or so. He was drafted in the 29th round or 30th round, whatever, out of a small D2 school in California. He back then like signing bonuses weren't huge, right. especially for you can imagine for a D2 guy drafted in the 30th round. Yep. Yep. Um, and he was a senior, so just a senior sign, like whatever roster filler, whatever it is. They offered him a thousand bucks. He asked for two thousand dollars, and when someone asked him why he asked for two thousand dollars, it was so that he could afford a new iPhone. And fifteen years later, whatever, he's a solidified big leaguer. Yeah. So I think that that story is something that stuck with me for my entire life. So Kevin Pilar is a dude that I always look up to. Uh, Jose Altuve, just obviously with his size, my size being small, how I am. Um, personally, like my idols close to me, if I'm being completely honest, it was you and Justin Garcia, <laughs> uh, coming from the warehouse, you were always the most popular guy. Uh, you were Joe's favorite, not just cause, <laughs> not cause of whatever, but you, you went about it the right way. You worked hard. Um, and people knew that people levitated towards you and people wanted to be like you. And I was a perfect example of that, um, Justin Justin was in 8th grade my 6th grade year and my 6th grade year I made the middle school team I still was like learning the game of baseball but I had like basic skills good enough to make the middle school team um but like watching Justin and watching his actions I was kind of like wow like I have a long way to come um so I looked up to him a lot and then I got to high school and here he is, one of my best friends, driving me to go hit, driving me to go lift. We'd go do whatever. He would pick up me and Felix all the time. Yep. And we'd just, we'd hit, we'd be done hitting. We'd sit on the ground at community park and just talk about more baseball for an hour after that. Um, so you, you two were honestly two of the biggest guys in North Brunswick that I looked up to when I was younger. I appreciate that, man. And listen, for for those of you listening, I promise I didn't bring Tan on the podcast just to gas <laughs> me up. So listen, I mean, humbling, man. It's 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 cool that we can sit here and have a conversation because it's funny that it's funny to me that you even say that because like when when I think about us playing together, like it's just like, you're just like you're one of my teammates. You're yeah. a guy. You're a guy that's on my squad. Mm-hmm. I would never have the understanding that you were looking up to me. So I, like I, I don't. If I keep trying to explain it, I'm just going to talk in circles. <laughs> but listen, dude, I have I have so much appreciation for that, and it, it means a ton to me that that you can uh, you have that thought process, and that's something that that you would say. So, thanks. Of course, thanks, man. That's <laughs> awesome. And yeah, like also like to put some context to it, back in the day, that middle school team at Linwood in North Brunswick, yep. like usually one sixth grader would make the team every year. Oh, yeah. So, and I mean, like, I'm sure your year, you and Felix were both on it the was, squad. So. It was me, Felix, Chich, and Alex Antigua. Yeah, Which was the most, lineup. most ever to make a freshman team in middle school, which yep. was really cool coming up with them. Yeah, and then, you know, it had to be cool, too, where you're saying Justin Garcia is in eighth grade when you're there and you're seeing how far you have to come or how hard you're going to have to work to get to that level. And then when you get to high school – he came to our high school team, and he was playing. He was a starting shortstop his freshman year. Yep. And then you get to have that guy as your role model in town, and say, "Oh, well, if he can do it, 
why can't I do it? And then you get to you put yourself in that position where I think having those personal role models around you is something that can be really valuable. Where it's like we, I was talking with Brian Fitzpatrick, who's pitching with the Brewers now. You know Fitzy from oh, those yeah. COVID innings. Oh, yeah. He was talking a lot about about facing you back back in those days. But his point was these days he gets to lift with big leaguers, mm-hmm. and he you know a big leaguer's on a rehab assignment, and now suddenly they're on the same team. And his mm-hmm. point was these are just regular people. Yep. It by no means am I comparing myself to a big leaguer. Uh, no, right. Not at all. But the point is, when you have people directly around you that you can say, "I want to do what they're doing," that's really important, right? I was yep. lucky enough that when I was young, a younger guy in high school, I had a guy like Brandon Belak to look up to, where it was like, "This guy's committed to Notre Dame right now, yep. and he's County Player of the Year. I want to do what he's doing." And then we get to go back here and lift. We oh, get to yeah. go back here and throw together, and it it makes that it makes those things that seem like high heights to reach yeah achievable yep and then like you're talking about with the kevin pilar example that's a story i'd never heard before where he's like listen i just want to have a phone so i can stay in touch with my people so it's cool i think the chain of events is really cool there where it's like i need these are the places i want to be now these are the places i want to be in the future and that goal setting and having those people to look up to and chase after kind of model your game after ends up being super valuable yeah, I think it. the bottom line comes down to who you surround yourself with. There's a saying that if you hang out with five losers, you're, you'll turn into the sixth. Yep. If you hang out with five winners, you'll also turn into the sixth. So whether this is a good thing or a bad thing, all the friends I have in my life are through baseball. It's, yeah. It's like I chose to surround myself with those type of high-achieving baseball players, whatever it is. My best friend from North Brunswick High School is a Division One soccer player at Rutgers University. And they just won the Big Ten Championship for yep. uh, men's soccer. So it's awesome to see that the people I surrounded myself with also turned into like similar people I am. Like They're winning, they're successful, they're at big schools, they're doing all this. I think that's just a perfect example of that saying, and that's something that I live by. Yeah, and I, I think there's no, there's no better way to put a bow on the whole thing where you talk about all these intangibles that come with it, whether it's picking the right school, how we handle adversity, right? Competing in the classroom, competing in the weight room the type of family we have around us, right? And then on the back end, being able to enjoy these these awesome benefits that come through that hard work, whether it be making a regional, enjoying an awesome new facility up yeah. there at Binghamton. So it's cool to get down to the root of that and to say, I, you know, everybody wants to say, well, I don't want to take any credit. I want to stay humble and I just want to thank the people around me. But to really have a chance to sit here and reflect and say, this is the network of guys I put around me and this is how they got me to different yeah. places. And now... You know, because what ends up happening that's super cool on the back end of that is like you get to share the successes with people. Oh, yeah. Right. And there's a number of guys in our game who keep to themselves and they're mm-hmm. super talented and that's fine. But I, I definitely like it from the perspective where I get to sit here with Andrew Tan and have a conversation and chop it up about baseball today. And we get yep. to talk about these awesome, the awesome stuff we enjoyed at the warehouse in North Brunswick and then some <laughs> successes that, that you've had at the college level now. So, um, it's it's been awesome having a conversation with you, man. I thank oh, you yeah. so much for for it. chopping it up and uh, and you know enjoy Christmas break. I know uh, I know you grinded through some finals last week. Yeah. yeah. So uh, you know, awesome that that's done, and uh, I'm sure we'll see you around the facility here in the in the next couple of weeks before oh, yeah. you get back to school. So again, I can't thank you enough for hopping on with me, and uh, you know, there's no doubt you'll continue to grind this break, and then uh, best of luck to you when you get back to Binghamton and uh, in your season in the springtime. Appreciate it. Thank you. Had a yeah. blast. Yep. <laughs> Awesome, man. For the for the Green Grass and White Bases podcast and for Andrew Tan, I'm your host, Eric Reardon. We're signing off. It's one, two, three strikes, you're out at the old.